Chapter 19 of Murder in the Gun Room. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Murder in the Gun Room by H. Beam Piper. Chapter 19. There was less feuding at dinner that evening than at any previous meal Rand had eaten in the Fleming home. In the first place, everybody seemed a little awed in the presence of the new butler, who flitted in and out of the room like a ghost and, when spoken to, answered in a heavy BBC accent. Then the women, who carried on most of the hostilities, had re-erected their front populari, and were sharing a common pleasure in the recovery of the stolen pistols. And finally there was a distant possibility that the swift and dramatic justice that had overtaken Walters and Gwynedd at Rand's hand was having a sobering effect upon somebody at the table. Dunmore, Nelda, Varsic, Geraldine, and Gladys had been intending to go to a party that evening, but at the last minute Gladys had pleaded indisposition and telephoned regrets. The meal over, Rand had gone up to the gun-room, Gladys drifted into the small drawing-room off the dining-room, and the others had gone to their rooms to dress. Rand was taking down the junk with which Walters had infiltrated the collection, and was listing and hanging up the recovered items when Fred Dunmore, wearing a dressing-gown, strolled in. I can't get over the idea of Walters being a thief, he sorrowed. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen his signed confession. Well, it just goes to show you. He took his medicine standing up, Rand said, and he helped us recover the pistols. If I were you, I'd go easy with him. Dunmore shook his head. I'm not a revengeful man, Colonel Rand, he said, but if there's one thing I can't forgive, it's a disloyal employee. His mouth closed sternly around his cigar. He'll have to take what's coming to him. He stood by the desk for a moment, looking down at the recovered items and the pile of junk on the floor. When did you first suspect him? Almost from the first moment I saw this collection. Rand explained the reasoning which had led him to suspect Walters. The real clincher, to my mind, was the fact that he knew this collection almost as well as Lane Fleming did and wouldn't be likely to be deceived by these substitutions any more than Fleming would. Yet he said nothing to anybody, neither to Mrs. Fleming nor Good nor myself. If he weren't guilty himself, I wanted to know his reason for keeping silent. So I put the pressure on him, and he cracked open. Well, I want you to know how grateful we all are, Dunmore said, feelingly. I'm kicking hell out of myself now, about the way I objected when Gladys brought you in here. My God, suppose we tried to sell the collection ourselves. Anybody who'd have been interested in buying would have seen what you saw, and then they'd have claimed that we were trying to hold out on them. He hesitated. You've seen how things are here, he continued ruefully, and that's something else I have to thank you for. I mean, keeping your mouth shut till you got the pistols back. There'd have been a hell of a row. Everybody would have blamed everybody else. How did you get him to confess, though? Rand told him about the subterfuge of the trumped-up murder charge. Dunmore had evidently never thought of that hoary device. He chuckled appreciatively. Say, that was smart. No wonder he was so willing to admit everything and help you get them back. He looked at the pistols on the desk and moved one or two of them. Did you get the one the coroner had? Good said something. Oh, yes, I got that yesterday. Rand turned and went to the workbench, 
bringing back the leech and Rigdon, which he handed to Dunmore. That's it. I fired out the other five charges and cleaned it at the state police substation. He watched Dunmore closely, but there seemed to be no reaction. So that's it. Dunmore looked at it with a show of interest and honest sorrow and handed it back, then shifted his cigar across his mouth. Look here, Colonel. I've been wanting to ask you something. Did Gladys just get you to come here to appraise and sell the collection, or are you investigating Lane's death, too? Well, now you're asking me to be disloyal to my employer, Rand objected. Why don't you ask her that? If she wants you to know, she'll tell you. Damn it, I can't. Suppose she's satisfied that it really was an accident. Would I want to start her worrying and imagining things? No, I suppose you wouldn't, Rand conceded. You're not at all satisfied on that point yourself, are you? Well, are you? Dunmore parried. That sort of fencing could go on indefinitely. Rand determined to stop it. After all, if Denmore was the murderer of Lane Fleming, he would already know how little Rand was deceived by the fake accident. The leech in Rigdon had told him that already. If he weren't, telling him would do no harm at this point, and might even do some good. Why, I think Fleming was murdered, Rand told him, as casually as though he were expressing an opinion on tomorrow's weather. And I further believe that whoever killed Fleming also killed Arnold Rivers. That, by the way, is where I come in. Stephen Gresham has retained me to find the Rivers murderer. To do that, I must first learn who killed Lane Fleming. However, I was not retained to investigate the Fleming murder, and as far as I know from anything she has told me, Gladys Fleming is quite satisfied that her husband shot himself accidentally. In a universe of ordered abstractions and multi-ordinal meanings, the literal truth, on one order of abstraction, was often a black lie on another. Does that answer your question? he asked with open-faced innocence. Dunmore nodded. Yes, I get it now. Look here, do you think Anton Varsic could have done it? I know it's a horrible idea, and I want you to understand that I'm not making any accusations. But we always took it for granted that he'd been up in his lab, and had come downstairs when he heard the shot. But suppose he came down and shot Fleming and then went out in the hall and made that rumpus outside after locking the door behind him. That's possible, Rand agreed. You were taking a bath when you heard the shot, weren't you? Dunmore shook his head. I suppose so. I didn't hear any shot, to tell the truth. All I heard was Anton pounding on the door and yelling. I suppose I had my head under the shower and the noise of the water kept me from hearing the shot. He stopped short, taking a cigar from his mouth and pointing it at Rand. "'And, by God, that would have been about five minutes before he started hammering on the door,' he exclaimed. "'Time enough for him to have fixed things to look like an accident, set the dead latch, and have gone out in the hall, and started making a noise. "'And another thing. You say that whoever killed Lane also killed this fellow Rivers.' Well, on Thursday night, when Rivers was killed, Anton didn't get home till around twelve. Yes, I'd thought of that. You know, though, that the murderer doesn't have to be Varsic, or anybody else who was in the house at the time. The garage doors were open. I'm told that your wife was out at the time, and anybody could have sneaked in the back way, up through the library, and out the same way. 
There are one or two possibilities besides you and Anton Varsic. Dunmore's eyes widened. Yes, and I can think of one without half trying, too. He nodded once or twice. For instance, the man who was afraid you were investigating Fleming's death. The man who started that suicide story. He looked at Rand interrogatively. Well, I gotta go. Nelda'll be out of the bathroom by now. I want to talk to you about this some more, Colonel. After Dunmore had gone out, Rand mopped his face. The room seemed insufferably hot. He found an electric fan over the workbench and plugged it in, but it made enough noise to cover any sounds of stealthy approach, and he shut it off. He had finished revising his list to include the recovered pistols for as far as it was completed, and was hanging them back on the wall when Ritter came in. House is clear now, his assistant said, stepping out of his P.G. Wodehouse character. Both pairs left in the Packard, Dunmore driving. Man, what a cat-and-dog show this place is. It's a wonder our client isn't nuts. You haven't seen anything. You ought to have been here last night. Where is our client, by the way? Downstairs. Ritter fished the cigarette out of his livery and appropriated Rand's lighter. If we hear her coming, you can grab this. He brushed a couple of Patterson Colts to one side and sat down on the edge of the desk, taking a deep drag on the cigarette. What's the regular law doing now that young Jarrett is out? I had a long talk with Mick McKenna, Rand said. Fortunately, Mick and I have worked together before. I was able to tell him the facts of life, and he'll be a good boy now. When last heard from, Farnsworth was beginning to blow his hot breath on the back of Cecil Gillis's neck. Ritter picked up the big forty-four Colt Walker and tried the balance. Man, this even makes that Colt Magnum of mine feel light, he said. Say, Jeff, if Farnsworth's going after Gillis, it's probably on account of those stories about him and Mrs. Rivers. At least all that stuff would come out if he arrested him. Maybe we could get a fee out of Mrs. Rivers. I'd thought of that. Unfortunately, Mrs. Rivers had a very convenient breakdown when she heard the news. She is now in a hospital in New York and won't be back until after the funeral. Prostrated with grief, or something. And this case is due to blow up like Hiroshima before then. Well, we can't get fees from everybody. That, of course, was one of the sad things of life to which one must reconcile oneself. I got a call from Pierre Jarret. Tip's staying at the Jarret place tonight. I thought it would be a good idea to have him within reach for a while. The private outside phone rang shrilly. Ritter let it go for several rings, then picked it up. This is the Fleming residence, he stated, putting on his character again. Oh, yes, indeed, sir. Colonel Rand is right here, sir. I'll tell him you're calling. He put a hand over the mouthpiece. Humphrey Good. Rand took the phone and named himself into it. I would like to talk to you privately, Colonel Rand, the lawyer said, on a subject of considerable importance to our, shall I say, mutual clients. Could you find time to drop over sometime this evening? Well, I'm very busy at the moment, Mr. Good, Rand regretted. There have been some rather deplorable developments here lately. The butler Walters has been arrested for larceny. It seems that since Mr. Fleming's death, he has been systematically looting the pistol collection. I'm trying to get things straightened out now. 
Good heavens! Good was considerably shaken. When did you discover this, Colonel Rand? And why wasn't I notified before? Are there many valuable items missing? I discovered it as soon as I saw the collection. Rand began answering his questions in order. Neither you nor anybody else was notified, because I wanted to get evidence to justify an arrest first. And nothing is missing. Everything has been recovered, he finished. That's what I'm so busy about now. Getting my list revised and straightening out the collection. Oh, fine. Good was delighted. I hope everything was handled quietly, without any unnecessary publicity. But this other matter, I don't care to go into it over the phone, and it's imperative that we discuss it privately, at once. Well, suppose you come over here, Mr. Good, Rand suggested. That way I won't have to interrupt my work so much. There's nobody at home now but Mrs. Fleming, and she's indisposed. We'll be quite alone. Now, very well. I think that's really a good idea, much better than you coming over here. I'll see you directly. Ritter was grinning as Rand hung up. That's the stuff, he approved. The old Hitler technique. Make them come to you, and then you can pound the table and yell at them all you want. You go let him in, Rand directed. Show him up here and then take a plant on that spiral stairway out of the library, just out of sight. I don't think this is it, but there's no use taking chances. He mopped his face again. Damn, it's hot in here. Ten minutes later, Ritter ushered in Humphrey Good and inquired if there would be anything further, sir. When Rand said there wouldn't, he went down the spiral. Just as Rand had expected, Good began peddling the same line as Varsig and Dunmore before him. They all came to see him in the gunroom with a common purpose. After easing himself into a chair and going through some prefatory huffing and puffing, Good came out with it. Did Rand believe that Lane Fleming had really been murdered? And was he investigating Fleming's death after all? I have always believed that Lane Fleming was murdered, Rand replied. I also believe that this murderer killed Arnold Rivers as well. I am investigating the Rivers murder, and the Fleming murder may be considered as a part thereof. But what brings you around to discuss that now? Did you learn something since last evening that leads you to suspect the same thing? Well, not exactly. But this afternoon, Fred Dunmore and Anton Varsa came to my office, separately, of course, and each of them wanted to know if I had any reason to suspect that the, uh, tragedy was actually a case of murder. Both had the impression that you were conducting an investigation under cover of your work on the pistol collection, and wanted to know whether Mrs. Fleming or I had employed you to do so. And you denied it, giving them the impression that Mrs. Fleming had? Rand asked. I hope you haven't put her in any more danger than she is now by doing so. Good looked startled. Colonel Rand, do you actually mean that? He began. You were Lane Fleming's attorney and board chairman of his company, Rand said. You can probably imagine why he was killed. You can ask yourself just how safe his principal heir is now. Without giving Good a chance to gather his wits, he pressed on. Well, what's your opinion about Fleming's death? After all, you did go out of your way to create a false impression that he had committed suicide. Good, still bewildered by Rand's deliberately cryptic hints and a little frightened, had the grace to blush at that. I admit it, it was entirely unethical, and I'll admit that too, he said. But, 
Well, I'm buying all the premixed stock that's out in small blocks, and so are Mr. Dunmore and Mr. Varsick. We all felt that such rumors would reduce the market quotation to our advantage. Rand nodded. I picked up a hundred shares the other day myself. Your shenanigans probably chipped a little off the price I had to pay, so I ought to be grateful to you. But we're talking about murder, not market manipulation. Did either Varsick or Dunmore express any opinion as to who might have killed Fleming? The outside telephone rang before Good could answer. Rand scooped it up at the end of the first ring and named himself into it. It was Mick McKenna calling. Well, we checked up on that cap and ball six-shooter you left with me, he said. This gunsmith, Umholtz, refinished it for Rivers last summer. He showed the man who is to see him, the entry in his job book, make, model, serials, and all. Oh, fine. And did you get anything out of young Gillis? Rand asked. The gun was in Rivers' shop from the time Umholtz rejuvenated it till around the first of November. Then it was sold, but he doesn't know who to. He didn't sell it himself. Rivers must have. I assume that. That's why he's still alive. Well, thanks, Mick. The case is getting tighter every minute. You haven't had any trouble yet? McKenna asked anxiously. How's the Hoosies doing? About as you might expect, Rand told him, mopping his face again. Thanks for that, too. He hung up and turned back to Good. Pardon the interruption, he said. Sergeant McKenna of the State Police, the officer who made the arrest on Walters and Gwinnett. Well, I suppose Dunmore and Varsick are each trying to blame each other, he said. Well, yes. I rather got that impression, Good admitted. And which one do you like for the murderer? Or haven't you picked yours yet? You mean... Yes, of course, Good said slowly. It must have been one or the other, but I can't think... It's horrible to have to suspect either of them. For a moment he stared unseeingly at the litter of high-priced pistols on the desk. Then... Colonel Rand, Lane Fleming is dead, and nothing either of us can do will bring him back. To expose his murderer certainly won't. But it would cause a scandal that would rock the Premix Company to its very foundations. It might even disastrously affect the market as a whole. Oh, come, Rand reproved. That's like talking about starting a hurricane with a palm-leaf fan. But you will admit that it would have a dreadful effect on Premix Foods, Good argued. It would probably prevent this merger from being consummated. Look here, he said urgently. I don't know how much Gladys Fleming is paying you to rake all this up, but I'll gladly double her fee if you drop it and confine yourself to the matter of the collection. Even in his colossal avarice, that was one kind of money Jeff Rand had never been tempted to take. An offer of that sort invariably made him furious. At the moment, he managed to choke down his anger, but he rejected Good's offer in a manner which left no room for further discussion. Good rose, shaking his head sadly. I suppose you realize, he said sorrowfully, that you're wrecking a ten million dollar corporation, one in which you yourself are a stockholder. Rand brightened. And the biggest wrecking jobs I ever did before were a couple of petrol dumps and railroad bridge. He got to his feet along with the lawyer. No need to call the butler, I'll let you out myself. He accompanied Good down the front stairway to the door. Good was still gloomy. 
I made a mistake in trying to bribe you, he said, but can't I appeal to your sense of fairness? Do you want to inflict serious losses on innocent investors merely to avenge one crime? I don't approve of murder, Rand told him. Least of all, to paraphrase Clausewitz, as an extension of business by other means. You know, if we let Lane Fleming's killer get away with it, somebody might take that as a precedent and bump you off to win a lawsuit sometime. Ever think of that? When he returned to the gunroom, he found Gladys Fleming occupying the chair lately vacated by the family attorney. She blew a smoke ring at him in greeting as he entered. Now, what was Hump Good up to? she wanted to know. I'm taking too much on myself, Rand evaded. Maybe I should have turned Walters over for trial by family court-martial. How do you like Davies, by the way? Oh, he's cute, Gladys told him. One of your operatives, isn't he? Now, what in the world gave you an idea like that, he asked, as though humoring the vagaries of a child. Well, I suspected something of the sort from the alacrity with which you produced him before Walters was out of the house, she said and nobody could be as perfect a stage-butler as he is. But what really convinced me was coming into the library a little while ago, and finding him squatting on the top of the spiral, covering Humphrey Good with a small but particularly evil-looking automatic. Oh, I climbed up and squatted beside him, she replied. I got there just as you were telling Good what he could do with his bride. You know, with one thing and another, Good's beginning to become unamusing. She smoked in silence for a moment. I ought to be indignant with you, filling my house with spies, she said. But under the circumstances, I'm afraid I'm thankful instead. Your op's a good egg, by the way. He's on his way to bring us some drinks. I ought to be sore at you, retaining me into a mess like this, and telling me nothing, Rand told her. What was the idea, anyhow? You wanted me to investigate your husband's murder all along, didn't you? I... I hadn't a thing to go on, she replied. I was afraid, if I came out and told you what I suspected, that you'd think it was just another case of feminine damn foolishness, and dismiss it as such. I knew it wasn't an accident. Lane didn't have accidents with guns, and if he'd wanted to kill himself, he'd have done it and left a note explaining why he had to. But I didn't have a single fact to give you. I thought that if you came here and started working on the collection, you'd find something. You should have taken a chance and told me what you suspected, Rand said. I've taken a lot of cases on flimsier grounds than this. The fact is, you practically told me it was murder when you were talking to me in my office. Jeff, I never was what the soap operas call being in love with Lane, she continued. But he was wonderful to me. He gave me everything a girl who grew up in a sixteen-dollar apartment over a fruit store could want, just as you'd step on a cockroach, because he got in the way of a business deal. I'm glad to be able to spend money to help catch whoever did it. It won't help him, but it'll make me feel a lot better. You will catch him, won't you? Rand nodded. I don't know whether he'll ever go to trial and be convicted, he said. I don't think he will. But you can take my word for it. He won't get away with it. Tomorrow I think the lid's going to blow off. Maybe you'd better be away from home when it does. Take Nelda and Geraldine with you and go somewhere. There's likely to be some uproar. 
Well, Nelda and Geraldine and I are going to church in the morning, Gladys said. It's a question of face. We have a rented pew. Lane was quite active in church work, and none of us are willing to let ourselves get squeezed out of it. We all go. Even Geraldine manages to drag herself to the Lord's house through an alcoholic fog, and we'll have to be back in time for dinner. It would look funny if we weren't. Well, if nothing's happened by the time you get back, I want you to talk the girls into going somewhere with you in the afternoon, and stay away till evening. And don't get the idea that you could help me here, he added, stopping an objection. I know what I'm talking about. The presence of any of you here would only delay matters and make it harder for me. Then Ritter came in, a cigarette in one corner of his mouth, carrying a tray on which there were a bottle of bourbon, a bottle of scotch, a siphon, and a couple of bottles of beer. End of chapter 19